Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we deep dive into a new aspect of cinema. Whether it's a director, actor, genre, or franchise, we always have fun at the Film Club. And this month, we're talking about romantic comedies, and this week we are talking about... Annie Hall. Yes, Annie Hall, directed by and starring Woody Allen and Diane Keaton, and uh, a very beloved romantic comedy, I would say. Yeah, it's a good, dry, sarcastic comedy. Yeah, this comes out in 1977. Famously, it beats Star Wars for Best Picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also the movie that kind of breaks Woody Allen into the mainstream. This is his, like, everybody considers this his breakthrough. It's the movie that is the most referenced out of his filmography. It's also the romantic comedy that a lot of New York-based romantic comedies steal from. Yeah, and Diane Keaton also started, you know, a trend with her fashion in this film. Yeah, and, you know, anything with Diane Keaton in it, it's probably going to be at least pretty good. It's usually a banger. At least from the 70s. But yeah, so we're getting to talk about Annie Hall. Uh, Before we get in, I guess, disclaimer, uh, we do acknowledge Woody Allen is a creep and probably a scumbag. Yeah. You know. So we're strictly talking about his work, not the man. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to talk about him as a director, but, you know, yeah. devil but his due, he he made a pretty good movie. And he's made a lot of good movies, and I think that's the struggle with art, because, you know, this artist is a scumbag, but his artwork is great. He's done so many good movies, and it's kind of a fine line to walk between real life and imagination in films. It's the same thing with, like, the Polanski discussion. Yeah. But... Let us not to digress for too long. What are your thoughts on Annie Hall after your, your first time viewing? Yeah, because I've seen clips of this movie, but I've never seen the movie in its entirety. And it wasn't what I expected to be, and I ended up really liking the movie. Uh, what were you expecting it to be? Oh, you know, you imagine, oh, it's going to be this epic love story. You know, he's going to lose the girl, but get her again in the end. And we kind of see... He somewhat gets her, but they're kind of in a better place. He accepts that, you know, she didn't take the proposal. Spoiler for a 45-year-old movie. But, yeah, you know, I I ended up really enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't have to really worry too much about spoiling this movie because so many romantic comedies of this, I guess, of the eras that come after take a lot of cues from this. Yeah. But the the interesting thing about the movie, because I've seen it before, and I really enjoyed it beforehand, but I I didn't know anything about Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, you know, this guy, he made a bunch of good movies, so me watch a bunch of good movies. Yeah. So I watched this, Manhattan, Blue Jasmine. Uh, I think I saw Midnight in Paris. I know that's a movie you really like. Yeah, I don't think you've seen it. I've been campaigning for you to watch this movie for almost ten years now. Give it time. Yeah, we're almost there. But Play It Sam was uh, another good movie. Yeah, it because he he's a very prolific director. Yeah, because I think for a while he was a movie a year for like thirty years or twenty years, something like that. Like he has a Somewhere lot of output. Yeah, but I guess uh, before we get too far into it, I do have the back of the box. The actual we do. back of the box here. We sprung for the money to have an actual back of box. Feels good. It does. Mm-hmm. So let me read this puppy off. This is what the movie's basically about. Alvy Singer is one of Manhattan's most brilliant comedians, 
but when it comes to romance, his delivery needs a little work. Introduced by his best friend Rob, Albie falls in love with the ditzy but delightful nightclub singer Annie Hall. When his own insecurities sabotage the affair, Annie is forced to leave Albie for a new life and lover in Los Angeles. Knowing he may have lost Annie forever, Albie willingly goes to any lengths, even driving LA freeways to recapture the only thing that ever mattered. True love. That is far more a concise plot than this movie actually gives us. Because this movie, I, I'm not trying to be mean, is kind of a mess. Yeah. But I think that's just kind of a play on life. Life is a mess. And romance, you know, love, it gets messy. And that's why it's kind of so confusing that we jump around a lot and we see, you know, real time and then we jump, you know, back to earlier, we jump to the future. So it's like, you're kind of trying to plug in all these chords with, you know, wait, are we on this timeline? Are we on that timeline? Yeah, because the movie jumps around quite often. Cause, and even the movie starts weird because it starts with... A monologue. Yeah, which is also really weird. It starts with... Alvi giving us a straight monologue about his thoughts on love and on himself. And that's kind of the whole movie. It's yeah. his thoughts on love and himself. And we're seeing the relationship with Annie at its end. Like, they're mm -hmm. already kind of sick of each other. They're already having problems. And the movie then flashes back to Alvi's, like, previous relationships and how they went bad in his life. And then we go further back to his childhood. Yeah, and the movie is, like, the first half is, this is how the relationship fell apart. And then the second half is, oh, this is where they got together and how the relationship got so good. And then the ending of the movie is those two moments kind of crashing into each other yeah. and them after this relationship. It's really weird. I mean, I, I call it messy because of how it's structured so oddly. Mm -hmm. And it's not just that it's non-linear, it's also very rapid-paced. Yeah. It's kind of how Alvy or Woody Allen talks. You know, very snappy. Mm -hmm. We're just getting to the point, boys. You know, yada, yada, yada. And very rambly. I mean, going on with the fast pace of this movie, this movie's only 93 minutes. Yes. And this is the second shortest film to win Best Oscar Picture. Also, the comedies need to be like like a tight 90. It is hard to keep me involved in a two-plus-hour comedy. That's a little much. Well, I mean, we've also kind of figured that out podcast-wise. It's kind of hard to break down a comedy and explore the different avenues that it takes you on because a lot of them, it's just... They're not, they're not very deep thematically for you to chew on. Yeah, but comedies like The Apartment, Annie Hall, there's a lot of substance there and a lot of fat to chew on. Yeah. And, you know, we have the seriousness of you know, these two characters. They want to work, but they don't really work. And just the complexity of Alvi with, you know, he is... What's the tagline of the movie? A, a, a nervous romance or a... <laughs> a neurotic romance or something? Uh, is, uh, I don't know. It's not on the front of the box. It, it's on IMDb. It's like a, a nervous romance. And that's what you get from him, where it's just... You know, basically Chicken Little. Oh no, the 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 sky is gonna fall in. <laughs> the relationship's on us. <laughs> falling apart. Yeah. How can I help myself? And it's it's kind of the thing because the movie in and of itself, I think, is about this guy who is kind of self sabotaging his mm -hmm. own romantic life. Yeah. Because I, there's no part in this where I think Alvi is very sympathetic. 
most of the time I see Alvi as mm, just on this side of being a total prick. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, you're very, like, neurotic and picky, but God, dude, take a chill pill. Mm-hmm. Just calm down. You don't need to go see a four-hour Holocaust documentary every Saturday when you can't just go to the matinee. Like, that cannot be your fallback date. Okay, so we have to start there because that's in the beginning of the movie. We see them going on this date. He's waiting for uh, Annie to show up to the theater. She's late. They get in line and they talk to the woman that's selling the tickets. And she goes, oh, the movie started two minutes ago. And he starts going off, oh my god, the movie is already done. You know, we are so late. And Annie's like, it's only two minutes. You know, the opening credits probably just stopped or the music just stopped. And he's, no, it's already done. Why am I going to see a completed film? And I'm like... I completely agree with the man. I'm like, why is this Dean? Why is this, you know, our relationship? I completely uh, agree with the man. Once the movie has started, it has started, all right? I You need to be enveloped in the entirety of the runtime, the entirety of the, the, the filmmaker's process. It's the vision. Like, I, I respect that, that, that idea. Um, this is even at home with DVDs where Dean's like, yeah... I know this is a DVD where I can pause it at my own leisure. I can't stop the film. I, it, it may be a five-hour film, but I can't stop the film. I watched Lawrence of Arabia in one sitting. Same with, uh, you know, Once Upon a Time in America. What was that movie you watched recently? The five-hour one or the four-hour one? Fanny and Alexander. It was the TV edit, which is about five and a half. It's like a mini-series of the TV edit. And, and you were like, yeah, I, I, I finally had a spare five hours to devote to this film and... It's hard to get an extra five hours to watch Bergman. I'm sorry, all right? It's or you, hard. Or you just pause it and you come back to it where you could, you know, fill up the time. It's literally a, a mini-series, so it has, like, breaks where the episodes end. And I'm like, no, no, no. Those are intermissions. Th- those are intermissions that Bergman is so graciously giving me to go use the bathroom. But um, back to Annie Hall. It, But yeah, the beginning of the movie is him kind of... And this is where we get a lot of the humor. Because this opening is... Him and Diane Keene, they're waiting in line to go see this, you know, German, you know, Holocaust documentary. And the guy behind them won't shut up. He is talking, I believe, exactly how I talk when people overhear me about, you know, pretentious art house movies. (laughs) And then Woody Allen is like, you shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. And the guy's like, I know exactly what I'm talking about. I teach this guy. And he's like, well, I have this guy over here. And just walks off camera and pulls like the expert on screen and the guy's like you know nothing of my work how somebody allows you to teach is beyond me and i'm like well that's like a fucking uh family guy gag yeah like oh you don't know what you're talking about i'm gonna pull the exact right thing off screen into frame to now like destroy you and that's the punchline yeah and this is why i felt like this movie felt so familiar because a lot of things have been spoofed and paid homage to from this film yeah. Like Family Guy. Um, that 70s show in their first season, they do... Um, a lot of cutaway gags. Well, not only that, but they actually do a riff on one of the episodes of Annie Hall, where Eric and his mom, they go to see the movie together, and you get different, you know, things where, you know, they're like, Mahjong, what is Mahjong? Or the joke about, you know, yeah, my, my jaw's killing me, it'll feel better, you know. <laughs> Hopefully it'll feel better soon. But even uh, I like I like that joke. That's a good joke. I figured you would. But even uh, the removed scene when they're attempting to have sex, and he's telling her he's like, you know, she leaves her body and she goes and she's like, can you pass me my drawing pad? 
And he goes, this is what I call you being removed. And that's what Eric and Donna do. They're, they're like making out and she leaves her body and she's like, hey, do you know if I left my chemistry book here? I'm, I'm just going to work on some homework. And Eric's like, you know, this is what I call removed. You're not here in the moment with me. And she's just, you know, she's got homework on the brain. It's, it's really funny because the movie, again, for, you know, this is 77, is doing a pretty frank discussion on the um, neurotic nature of this man's sex life. And also, the I think it is a very funny showing of, you know, like, the nature of relationships, sexual relationships, how the, he is like, oh, we are hardly having sex anymore, only barely three times a week. And she's like, <laughs> it's constant. It's three <laughs> times a week. Oh, he thinks I'm a mule. And it's, it's fucking hilarious. I mean, I love when they're breaking it down and he talks about his first wife. Yes. And they're like, you know, you know, wasn't it you that was self-sabotaging where, you know, you were bringing conspiracies into the bedroom and the wife's trying to have sex with you? I, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. Like, why would you change the direction on the day of his parade at Daily Plaza? I don't understand it. Like, there has to be somebody else other than Book Depository. It's a shooter on the grassy knoll. I don't know. Oswald could not have been alone. I don't expect him to be, you know, a master marksman, but he had to be a good shot. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, this is Dean. This was, what, last year when they released some of the, the Kennedy files? Okay. And my God, Dean went to work. He was like, the, I gotta read every he, last page of these well, files. Because, dur remember, during the dark times of COVID when we couldn't go outside? Yes. I became one of those people who was obsessed with, like, conspiracy theories, but I wasn't one of those flat earther normies. No, no, no. I was a classics man. I, I deep dive into, like, JFK assassination. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and that was, like, my fucking, like... Three-week obsession was deep diving into Kennedy assassination, like, documentaries and random, like, articles and shit. And it was, like, that came up and I was like, man, I've had that conversation <laughs> with Becky before. We've been at dinner and she's trying to talk to me about, like, oh, where should we go for our anniversary? And I'm like, so Jack Ruby had to have known somebody to let him in. That's basically confirmed at this point. But... Did the person who let him in, were they in? Did they know he had a gun on him? Like, what What was going on here? And Becky's like, can we can we please just have a nice dinner? We don't need to solve the Kennedy assassination over brunch. The server would just like to take your order. And you're over here. It doesn't make sense. Why would they shoot Oswald the next day? Okay, but the server at Denny's, though, was actually kind of kind of into it. Because he, he gave, he, he participated in the conversation for at least... 30 seconds before he walked away in disgust. I don't think I was there for that. This must have happened. Does this happen every time you go to a restaurant? Back to Annie Hall. Wow. <laughs> Back wow. To We're Annie. learning a lot about Dean today. Back to Annie Hall. Um, the, But that's the thing. The nature of the comedy of this movie is, is very Woody Allen. It's very... I don't even know how to describe it. It it works. It's pretty dry. It's a little witty. It's You have those, you know, long cutaways where it's just you hear his voice and it's like, "Well, where is he?" And it's like, "Oh, he's way off in the distance. Okay, he'll be here in about 5 minutes." So we're basically just looking at scenery until he finally comes into the scene and we move along with him. Those long master shots of him yeah. kind of walking with Rob through New York City. And that's pretty much a staple of his filming style where we have the actors in the movie just walking. Yeah. And I think that makes it feel a lot more real that it's just, you know, two people out for a walk. I mean, 
he's also he also lives in New York and he in New York is a walking city. Yeah. And also, like people have said, it is impossible to shoot New York without making a reference to Woody Allen because he mm-hmm. shot so much of New York and he loves setting his movies in New York. There's no one that has shot the Golden Gate Bridge in a better way than Woody Allen because he shot it from 50 different angles over 50 years. But yeah, the other the other thing about it though you is mean the Brooklyn Bridge. Brooklyn Bridge. I, Golden, I don't know what coast I'm on. Golden Gate is ours. I don't know what coast I'm on. But the the thing is though that's interesting about how the movie shot is it, you know who the cinematographer is? I don't. Gordon Willis. Okay, what other films has he done? The Godfather. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. It, it's kind of funny when Diane Keaton shows up to the um to the theater late and he's like why are you so late? I was being harassed by cast members of The Godfather. Yeah. And he's saying that to a cast member of The Godfather. Godfather, And the cinematographer worked on The Godfather. And it's like this. This feels so, like, wildly different how it's shot. And it's also a thing where it, it really is fascinating to see how this movie looks compared to movies he made, like, beforehand. Because this is his... He even acknowledges that this is his him stepping up as a director. Mm-hmm. Like, he learned so much more about visual storytelling making this movie from Gordon Willis. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, you know what a Woody Allen movie looks like. It, yeah. It has a certain look, a certain style. And... He's very obsessed with the cities he's in. There's yeah. a lot of long takes, a lot of masters, not a lot of, like, snappy close-ups. Yeah, but that's wild. I did not pick up that that's the same cinematographer. I mean, these are very vastly different movies, Godfather and Annie Hall, but... I mean, you also gotta think about it. Diane Keaton gets to be in in The Godfather, Godfather 2, and then Woody, Woody Allen gets her for Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. And it it's a thing where Diane Keaton shows her range. Because yeah. in, in The Godfather, she doesn't have a lot to work with. Like, we can just be honest there. It is not focused on her. No. It's focused on, you know, the the Corleone family. Yeah, and just, you know, how she was so close with Michael. And, you know, once he starts to step into this role as the godfather, it's, you know, yeah, you know, I love you. I married you. But you got to stay way over here. You can't be involved in any of this. And in in this, she steals the show. Yes. I, I really get, I really feel like, you know, Woody Allen made this and this is kind of his movie. He's the main character. He wrote it. He directed it. He's like starring in it he is everything you know that that is alvi yeah and then he's also playing opposite diane keaton who is by far more like charming and lovable and like like i really get behind diane keaton's yeah performance a lot more than woody allen's did you feel the same way oh definitely i mean alvi is supposed to drive you crazy yeah i mean it is just you know there are so many bad things going on all the time in his world that that's just going to drive anybody crazy. But you get Diane Keaton where she's so bubbly and full of life and willing to try, you know, new things. Maybe I'll try a photography class. Maybe I'll, you know... Very la-di-da. La-di-da. And the fact that that's a first... First time that that, you know, quote or saying is in a film is wild. I feel that's one of those, because I think a lot of movies like this get said as, oh, this is the first time it was seen in all of cinema. And I feel like, no, this is like the popular one that people like remember. Because I can't imagine Lottie Da wasn't said in like a 1930s comedy. Whenever the phrase was come up with. Yeah, you know, probably. Or discovered. 
dis- discovered. They they this walked. This was the movie. They walked through the land of words, and they discovered La Di Da hidden up in the trees. They discovered it. I I would go with that. Yeah, you, you would go with that. Yeah, There's I'd... a nice La Di Da tree. Yeah, yeah. No. A quote tree. A quote tree. Ooh, wonder what grows on a quote tree. Lots of good quotes. Uh, well, well, let's let's play it again here. Boo. So, um, any hall. Yes. Uh, this, but it is a thing, you know, I feel like Diane Keaton steals the show, but the movie is stacked with actors that would later go on to be, like, giant. Six horror actors. That's how they kind of phrased it, because these actors have been in horror movies. They kind of got their first start, their official starts in horror movies. Or they get really well known for horror movies later on. Yeah, so we have Sigourney Weaver. Alien. Alien. And this was also her first screen debut. Yeah. And and she is in one shot at the almost the very end of the movie. And you have to be paying attention to make sure you don't miss her. Yeah, because it is like a young Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. It, which is weird because I think two years after this, she's in Alien. But it's like a thing where, you know, Alvy and Diane have like, bro- or Alvy and, and Annie have broken mm-hmm. up and it's like, oh, it's all gone. And Sigourney Weaver, his like rebound girl. Yeah. And he's, like, trying to do the same lobster gag. And she's like, well, was that supposed to be funny? Like, are you are you trying to make a joke right now? I don't I don't get it, you okay. know? Okay, I think before we go on the list of the other actors that, you know, were in this film, we gotta talk about the lobster scene. Yeah, that, is that the best scene in the movie? Or is that, like, the best um, cutesy romance scene in the movie? I think it's kind of confusing because why are they cooking so many lobsters for the two of them? Lobsters delicious? It is, but I mean, that's a lot of lobster for two people. I think what's more funny is they're like, oh, I can't kill a lobster and it's obviously a dead lobster or a fake lobster because that thing ain't moving. No, I, I think my favorite part of that is, you know, they're surrounded by the lobsters. One, how are they surrounded by the lobsters? I want to know what series of events happened. Did he let them loose on the floor? Also, when he sees the Sigourney, the Sigourney Weaver scene, does he do it again to try and recapture? And is this his move? Does he does for every woman he meets? Does he have a lobster moment where he throws lobsters on the ground and tries to get the whole cutesy thing? I mean, I feel like that would be very expensive to do that move every time with a new girl. But I think he's you know really missing Annie, and it's like you know him with the self sabotaging. I'm going to rewrite the past, and I'm going to try to do these things over again so I feel like I have Annie, even though I don't. Mm-hmm. But my favorite part of that, the lobster scene, is when he yells at her to call the police when the lobsters are just surrounding them. I don't know why, but it was just, you know, the, the seriousness of that moment of him, call the police! And it was just like, it's lobsters, you're okay! I thought your favorite was going to be when she calls Alvy with the, uh, there's a giant spider in my bathroom. And he's like, a giant spider, what's wrong with you? Look, let me take care of this. You got a a magazine? All right, Jesus, I can't believe you're doing this. Walks in, walks right out. It's like, you got a big old spider. I need something bigger than this. All right, you you were not lying. That is a large spider, and there are two of them. Oh, it made me laugh, but it made me think of Randy more than anything. Because, you know, I... He's terrified of spiders? Yes, and I've killed my fair share of big spiders. I killed one a couple of weeks ago, scared the crap out of me, but I, I could do the job. I know that Randy calls you many a times to kill the spiders for him. It happens, you know. So I was like, yeah, you know, I could picture that, and I could picture you being kind of, like, 
like Alvy, a bull in a china shop, you know, just knocking everything over in the bathroom and destroying the bathroom to kill these two spiders. I'm, I'm nothing like Alvy in real life, I swear. I just play it for the camera. Really, Bergman and Fellini? Ah, uh, so, um... But... But going what else back, do I got written here in my notes? Uh-huh. Mm. This movie hit a little too close to home, didn't it? It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, we were talking about, before the lobster scene, Sigourney Weaver. This was her first screen debut. Uh, we also had Jeff Goldblum in this movie. What's my mantra? Yeah. Uh, we had Carol Kane. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's uh, Alvy's first wife. Yeah, Alvy's yeah. first wife, and she's also in Scrooged. Oh, yeah. She's the... Um, Ghost of Christmas Future? Were you about to say Ghost of Christmas Surprise? No, I was going to say Past. The, neither of those started with an S, and you were about to say something with an S. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I was going to say something. But yeah, she's in Scrooge. She's in When a Stranger Calls. Um, Jeff Goldblum. Christopher Walken. The, the Dead Zone. Which has a great... Uh, like a, a one... A two-scene gag? Because Alvy is up in wherever Long Island to meet... Um, her parents the, and the, the Norman Rockwell family, the Norman Rockwell family. And he goes in and he sees Christopher Walken sitting in his, in his orphan bedroom. That's the only way I can describe it. And he's like, Alvy, can I tell you something? You know, sometimes I drive and I really want to just turn my car into the headlights crash. I visualize it. I can feel it. And Alvy says, well, you, uh, you keep thinking that I'm going to go somewhere where there's sanity. And then the next day, he has to drive into the airport in the rain. And, you know, he's driving. And uh, Diane Keene's there going, la da 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 And Woody Allen is just staring bullets over at Christopher Walken, being like, I don't want to die tonight. Please, God, no. Please, God, it's no. It's also raining. And just with the sheer look of fear on his face, it kind of reminded me of Psycho when, when she's driving in the rain. <laughs> and I was just like, we I, just need the music to play over that, that scene. It would be perfect. That's probably what it is. One, it's a visual reference to Hitchcock Psycho. And two, it's a great silent gag. Yeah. Because we know oh, that why this is like so funny. Diane Keaton, no idea. Christopher Walken is just playing a straight scene. Mm-hmm. And then you have Woody Allen mugging like 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 a, like the schmuck he is in this movie. <laughs> And it's it's just so interesting because the movie is really really funny. Yeah, it's it's the thing you know it's a romantic comedy. It's definitely a comedy. How's the romance feel for you? Well, I mean the romance. Does it feel <laughs> diluted because it's chopped up so much and so like non like non linearly non sequential? A little bit. It's kind of hard to you know really hold on to them as a couple because we see them. In so many different phases of their relationship. Oh, they're just meeting. Oh, no, now they're broken up. Oh, they can't stand each other. So it's kind of And now they're madly in love and this. And that we're going through all these highs and lows. And we don't know the true arc. It's all filtered through Alvy, who we can say at best is an unreliable narrator. Yeah, because, you know, they're sweet together when they're in love. And, I mean, they're really funny when they can't stand each other. So it's just kind of like... Yeah, I want to root for them, but no, I also kind of like seeing them fight because you get some, you know, some good content out of it. Yeah, you get you got a lot of uh, fun back and forth between uh, Woody Allen and Diane Keaton. Oh, definitely. Uh, um, but uh, what what else did we want to to hit on while we were here? Well, we had one more actor that was on this film, you know, part of that six, mm. Shelley Duvall. And it's really weird because she's in like one scene. 
and she's, she's going to be like in like five minutes of the movie. Yeah, maybe even less. I mean, she's great because she's in love with um, the Hari Krishna or whatever. She's she is the definition of that one hippie chick you dated in college <laughs> that you are so surprised you you stayed together as long as you did. Oh yeah. She's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I just I just really like this, you know. I'm I'm like I'm like into spiritualism. I'm not, I'm not like religious though. But like like Dylan just speaks to my soul though. Like is Dylan God? I think he is. He, he might be, you know. But, like, not, like, a religious thing, though. Like, a spiritual thing. Like, she's that character. And Alvi's just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You want to come home? You want Yeah. That, it, okay. We got to talk about that. Because, like, this is obviously, this is written by Woody Allen. And he is portraying Alvi, yeah, as, like, as, like, a schmuck, you know? Like, he's not very good with, you know, relationships. And he's, oh, you know, I'm so, I, I, I hate myself. I can't be happy <laughs> about anything. I am not a generally, like, easy person to get along with. But he's also portrayed as being able to just slay women left and right. Oh, yeah, and he's he... the funniest guy on the planet. And he is, like, famous and all this other stuff. And, and he, you know, he he hides from the fame. People recognize him. And he's like, no, please, that's not me. I'm, I'm this person. And it's like, no, he pulls so many women. And it's just... This little, you know, old-looking guy. And it's just like, really? <laughs> That's also the funny thing, because Woody Allen, in the movie, he makes a, a mention that, oh, you know, I'm going to be 40 soon, and that's a big number, you know, that, that changes a man. And it's like, are you, are you like 46 in this movie? Like, are you? No, I think he was actually 40 at the time of the making of this movie. Are, okay, because he, it, again, it might be because a lot of, you know, people look a little older or a little younger than mm -hmm. they actually are. He is in the unfortunate camp of looking a little older than he actually is. Because I pegged him as like, are you sure you're not like 45, 46? Because that bald spot on the back of his head is not doing him any favors. No, and I think he's probably always looked the same. I've never seen a picture of a young Woody Allen that looked like... A youthful a, guy. Yeah, I mean, he looks in shape. Like, he's in shape in this. Oh, yeah, but I mean, you know, he's just one of these people that kind of looks on the older side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, there's some people that are older and they have good genes and they look a lot younger. The Paul Rudds of the world. Exactly, yes. And it's just, no, not in this case. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I just find it so funny. Like, we see him through the movie and I'm like, you are, god damn, Alvy, you are hitting above your weight class on some of these women. Jesus Christ. I mean, Annie Hall. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, 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 yeah. Well, granted, that's also real life. I think um, Woody Allen and Diane King dated either right before the movie or right after the movie. Yeah, I, I remember reading that somewhere. But, you know, just to see how she's the one that kind of, you know, falls for him first. And she's mm. very, you know, forward with, you know, um, can you give me a ride home? Well, didn't you say you drove here? Uh, yeah. Do you want a ride home? Sure. Do you want to come up to my apartment for a drink? I don't want to impose. No, it's okay. You want to come out here? Uh. Annie Hall is really into neurotic, uh, red-headed Jewish men from uh, the Bronx. I guess, you know, she, she's she got a type. He's it. I mean, she she falls for Paul Simon later. Which is another person who's in this mm -hmm. movie. I'm like, fucking Paul Simon's in this? I, again, I think the last time I saw this had to have been five years ago, maybe more. And when I saw it, I was like, 
what the fuck? Why are there so many people in here? And I completely forgot about that. And then when I see it again, and I'm like, what the fuck? That's Jeff Goldblum, Paul Simon. Mm-hmm. How did Woody Allen pull all these people? And the answer is most of them weren't famous yet. But, like, what the hell? And apparently he had a lot of pull. He had a lot of pull. He had a lot of game. He's slaying. Fucking slaying it. I and, guess. Um, and, but, uh... <laughs> Sorry, I keep forgetting where the fuck I was going. Um, kind of like this movie. Where are we going? Exactly. And actually, that is kind of... Okay, wherever I was going, we'll forget that. Now we're going to this thing. Okay. Because I did mention at the top, it feels like a mess. Yes. And I'm saying it feels like a mess because of the structure of it. Because it is... It, it never feels like it was meant to be a story about this one romance and how and how Alvi kind of like screws it up and i'm actually correct on this so i i found this out okay so when woody allen wrote the movie the movie was originally going to be about this guy who can't experience joy or pleasure or anything like that mm-hmm. Alvi in this movie basically is can't be happy he thinks everybody's either miserable or horrible he's like life life sucks he blames it on his parents yeah and he actually found, Woody Allen found that the movie evolved as he was making it. Because he had the Annie Hall character come in. Mm-hmm. And as they're making the movie, he kind of like realizes, man, I really love Annie Hall, you know, the character. And also, he's kind of falling in love with Diane Keaton. Yeah. And in the end, he has like, I think a three hour cut of this movie. Hmm. And he, you know, I don't know if that's like the real movie or if that was an assembly cut with all the footage. Yeah. Because there's a scene somewhere where he's in Madison Square Garden and he's about to like shoot a, a point from half court. Oh, God. And somebody's like, Alvy, why why can't you do it? And he's like, I can't. Why not? Because if I make it, it'll be too wonderful. And it, and that's and that's the gag. And because the movie originally was about this guy who can't be happy. Yeah. And then with the movie once it hits the editing bay he changes a lot of it and realizes oh no it's a movie about this guy who found the love of his life but he's found the love of his life a few times and how he's kind of sabotaged it himself and it turns into this movie about romance and i think that's why the movie feels so awkward in places and it it, I know it sounds like I'm ragging on the movie. The movie's still a, a great movie. Yeah. It's a it's a wonderful, well made mess. You know, I say mess not in like it's horrible. No, I mean we've it's, seen you know, some some messy movies, but it, we're talking mess like like a Baz Luhrmann movie. They're messes, but they're fun as hell. Yeah, I mean you feel like you're on an acid trip. I describe Baz Luhrmann movies as doing lines of pixie sticks, just doing. <sighs> rails of pixie sticks off of you know the wonka tables all right and it's a fun ride it's a fun ride elvis was pretty good elvis was pretty good i need to finish it um i'm gonna be mm-hmm. real you're watching it for austin butler like austin yeah. butler kills in the elvis movie yeah the rest of it is like a lot of aesthetics and it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun but you're watching it for austin butler he's killing it in that movie yeah and you know you have you know like moulin rouge where you know you feel like you're hitting the absinthe and just falling into paris in the the 20s or the the teens and just <laughs> or, or the movie we did on this podcast romeo and juliet oh, yeah. which oh my god that movie i love it so much i i know and i was i was hard on it because i'm like no one here can really do Shakespeare right. Like, the language is really important, and it doesn't feel like anyone here can do it all the way. But the movie is, like, 
just a sugar high for 90 minutes and it's wild. And but, beautiful. And beautiful. But that's like messy in a good way. Yeah. Annie Hall is not, you know, pixie sticks, rails of absinthe and just going mm. nuts. So it's messy in a, this guy's really, really smart and he's trying to impart a lot of stuff all at once. Mm. But like Alvy the character, it all just kind of gets rambled together in this big jumbled kind of, well, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, just that's just how it is. You know, these, these things, these thoughts and these ideas, and they all just kind of get pushed forward and we kind of relate to that because that's kind of how a lot of romances and these, you know, whirlwind loves kind of feel is they're just really messy, that's but life. you love them. Yeah, it's yeah, life. It feels very, you know, close to reality where this is life, you know, people get mad, you know, you fall in love and it's just, you feel kind of like, yeah, this could be somebody's actual life story and it's believable. Yeah, and I... I think it is kind of a uh, cheap out because Woody Allen says that he's nothing like his characters in his movies. Mm -hmm. He's like, me and Alvy Singer have very little in common. And I'm like, bull fucking shit. <laughs> like, I feel like all your movies are are biographical to one extent or the other. And this movie feels very, um, this is kind of Woody Allen's experiences and romance. Yeah. But, um, and any other thoughts on Annie Hall before we hit the wrap up? I mean, obviously there is a lot of humor in this, you know, that's kind of where we get caught up when we're talking about comedies, because we want to, like, say our favorite lines, because there's a lot of good one-liners, like, you know, the, the cocaine scene is obviously <laughs> yeah. hilarious, um, and that wasn't even supposed to be in the movie, that was an accident, he accidentally sneezed into the box and set the cocaine flying everywhere. Is that why you see Diane Keaton breaking yeah. in the back of that scene? Okay. Yeah, because that, that wasn't supposed to happen, and I guess they were doing, like, a test screening, and they put that in there, and the audience just went wild. And he was like, you know what, we gotta keep that in the scene. It's one of the best gags in the movie. It's and, one of the best sight gags. And that's a lot of, you know, things in movies where it's these improvised things or just these accidents that make the movie that much more memorable because... No one could write that. Yeah. I mean, you know, after seeing it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a killer gag. You know, someone that, you know, doesn't really do drugs and have them sneezing into the drugs and sending them everywhere. That's funny. And right after he finds out it's worth like five grand and he yeah. just blew away five grand in this little little um, teacup. But I mean, I think I really love um, when he breaks from character and he talks directly to the audience. The monologue moments? Definitely the monologue moments, like early on when he brings the the film expert, um, when he's talking about their sex life and he goes up to different people in the street to figure out, you know, hey, is your sex life normal? What do you guys do in the bedroom? And you have the guy, you know, oh, me and my wife, you know, we use this magic vibrating egg. And he goes, oh, okay, you know, good to hear from the psychopaths. And he keeps, you know, going to people and they're like, well, what yeah. about you? How does it work for you guys? Are you guys happy? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm incredibly shallow. Yeah, me too. And he goes, finally, you know, we have, you know, a good couple here. But it's just, I love those scenes where he just kind of breaks away from the storyline. When it becomes full fantasy. Yes. I think that, I think that is the the value of this movie and makes, and it makes it feel pretty good because it's so weird. Because the movie half the time is this very, almost grounded um, melodrama of this guy's like wayward romances. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's like, oh, this is like a fucking cartoon. And then it turns into an actual cartoon when he talks about how when he was a kid, he fantasized about the evil witch in Snow White. And then we jump to, you know, uh, 
not a claymation, but like an, an actual cartoon. An old school Disney animated uh, vision of little Woody Allen next to the the buxom uh, evil witch, evil and it's queen, evil queen, and it's and it's and it's very funny. And it ties back to the beginning of the movie where they're late to the movie, and she tells him, "I'm not in a good mood," and he's, you know, "Are you on your period?" Yeah, and it's just like, bro, I'm like so probably from the beginning of time. Men have been saying this, you know, oh, she's in a bad mood. You on your period? And then we get, you know, we, we come full circle to this scene where he asks the evil queen, are you on your period? And she goes, I'm a cartoon character. I don't get a period. And it's just like, what is going on here? But I think that's also a good bit of, I really hope it was conscious writing because it really works for it, where, oh, yeah, that's your first thought when your significant other is, feeling, is in a mood. You think she's on your period. It's like, oh, this guy's a schmuck. This guy's yeah. an asshole. And it puts him on the bad foot right out of the gate, puts Diane Keene right on a good foot out of the Mm -hmm. gate, and then as the movie goes on, you're like, oh, you know, Alvy is working his way up to you liking him, and, you know, while Annie Hall, Diane Keene, is just working through, bouncing off of him, and you're like, oh, yeah, of course they would end up together. They, of course this works. Yeah. You know, of course they kind of, like, bounce off of each other, because if it started off with them in love and happy or whatever and um alvi is like our hero out of the gate mm-hmm. and by the end you know annie hall leaves him then it's like oh that feels so bad for alvi but at the end of this you know at the final moments i'm like you know good for them they mm-hmm. both made it out of this relationship okay and they're friends yeah it's not one of these things where it's like and i never talked to her ever again and it eats me up inside and oh i'm dying and it's just like no you know they were able to come back together. She moves back to New York. They meet up for lunch every now and then. And it's like, okay, so they've been, managed to go past all this crap that got in the way of their relationship. And, you know, f- kind of find resolution. Yeah. And I think that's why the movie works so well and why so many critics and audiences really liked it is the ending. And it's like, yeah, because uh, the last part of the movie really kind of sums it all up and makes everything else snap into place really really gets it is um what is it uh the the joke about uh the man and the who lays the eggs you know guy yeah. goes guy goes <laughs> to a therapist and says doctor doctor you got to help me my brother is is acting like a chicken he goes around and he quacks and squawks and everything and the doctor Chickens says don't quack though or whatever goes around and the doctor says well bring it in okay? we'll get them all fixed up and he's like well, I don't know if I should do that. Why not? Because I really need the eggs. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know? Like, why does he keep getting into these series of relationships that aren't going to work? Because he wants the love that comes from these relationships. You know, we are we are social creatures and we want these relationships, even if they don't work. Because we want to, you know, be with each other. Or, hear me out. Woody Allen was able to see into the future and say that the egg prices were going to be through the roof. This and you've got And you've got a brother at home that could just, you know, pop him out. So you got to complain about it. Your brother, you know, is acting like a chicken. But you got yourself some free eggs. Got some free eggs. But yeah, so... Annie Hall. Do you think this deserved to beat Star Wars at the Oscars? <sighs> this was the moment you weren't waiting for. This no. is the one you were like, you know, we were going to have to ask it. We opened the episode with it. In my heart, no, Star Wars should have won because, fuck yeah, Star Wars, I love it. Yeah. But, you know, that's not the Academy. The Academy tends to go for 
not genre stuff. Yeah, not genre stuff. So I can see why this would take it. Mm. And I mean, this movie was nominated for five Academy Awards and won four Best Picture, Best Actress, Director, and Screenplay. Yeah. So it it got, you know, all the, the heavy hitter awards for that year. And it's like, I can see why. You know, it's all over the place, but there's a lot of substance to this movie. Best Actress, I think, is completely deserved. Oh, absolutely. Diane Keaton is amazing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she started a whole fashion trend with just, you know, her costuming, which was her clothing. Her own clothing. And the, I lo- the, uh, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl Chic. That was the fashion trend. Whatever, yeah, you know, or or just you know Annie Hall, you know. But it's like I love you know those little details about movies where you know, oh yeah, the actors in the movie that was their wardrobe, and it kind of makes you feel like you're looking at the person. Yeah, you're not looking at a character on a script. You're actually looking at the person, and the fact that Diane Keaton's name really is Diane Hall, which is kind of weird. Which is a trip, yeah. So it's just kind of like okay, you know, that's. Really making the story feel more real than fantasy. Yeah, and it's that's the thing about the movie that I think really works is it feels very relatable even when it's in its fantastical moments. Yeah, and you know, same thing about Woody Allen. He made a pretty good movie. He's made a lot of great movies. Uh, don't agree with his life choices, <laughs> but but just on artwork. He's made a lot of memorable movies, um, some fantastical characters, and uh, yeah, I ended up liking the movie a lot more than I expected to. I think that gets us to the point. Final thoughts on Annie Hall? I give it two strong thumbs up. Uh, Highly recommend you watch it. It was a little bit difficult for me to find it right now. I mean... Granted, you know, later... S- streaming and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, you know, everything... Right should... after we release this episode, it's going to come to Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, yeah, I YouTube. Know, I know it's on Hulu, and I was able to borrow um, a friend's password so I could watch the movie. No, it's on... Their... Because Hulu is okay with us sharing passwords. They are Netflix. You hear that, Netflix? You hear what you're doing? No, but what, what pissed me off was, yeah, it's on Hulu, but it's on the premium subscription. So I was just like... Okay, so I, I really had to take extra steps to find it, but if you can, highly recommend you watch it. It's a fun movie, funny movie, and yeah, it's a good time, even though, you know, some drama in it. Yeah, I, I honestly can still recommend Annie Hall. I think it is a good movie. It's, it's a movie that I think if you can vibe with this Woody Allen aesthetic and this kind of humor... It really pays off, and the guy can really make a good film. Like, the movie does just feel good, Mm -hmm. and when you watch it, you're going to see a lot, a lot of comedy, romantic comedy, romantic films, like, echo out of this. Like, I feel like Noah Baumbach takes a lot of cues from Annie Hall, and I really do think that this is one of those movies people should watch if you're going through, you know, your your greatest movies of all time watch throughs or something. This this is probably on your 100, maybe it, your 250. Is it on AFI Top 100? It is. It is on the AFI Top 100, I think at... I can look behind me, I got the thing. <laughs> 37. It's, it's, it came in right there, 37. 37, okay. Yeah, it was right under Snow White and, Brid- and above Bridge Over the River Kwai. What are the odds of that, that it's right next to Snow White and we have the evil queen in this movie? Again, did he predict the future? I call it poetic. 
poetic. Interesting. But two thumbs up for me. Would recommend it. Give it a watch. Uh, if you want to watch another good movie from Woody Allen, Blue Jasmine's a very good movie. And that's a really recent one. Midnight in Paris. Yeah. Manhattan is a pretty black yeah, and white movie. Very pretty. But with that, what are we going to be watching next week? Next week, we're going to be ending Romantic Comedy Month. But we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. We're going to be jumping into the teens. The, the modern era. The modern era. We're going to be talking about a Romeo and a Juliet kind of love. We're going to be talking about warm bodies. Yeah, this movie, I remember being advertised whenever it was coming out. And I thought it was very weird. Because, like, romantic comedies kind of kind of died once... Um, in, like, the 2010s, right? Like, yeah. romantic comedy stopped being, like, viable, like, big-budget, like, AAA studio stuff. Yeah, and, you know, with this, it's celebrating its 10th anniversary this month. Mm. And it's like, what better way to revive romantic comedies with the undead? Exactly. And hopefully by the time this comes out, we should have our bonus episode locked in. Yes. And uh, bonus episode, we'll be recording at some point with our good friend Alex Leto. And it'll be about the movie The Lobster starring Colin Farrell. Yes. So we're excited to talk about The Lobster. We're excited to talk about Warm Bodies. A lot going on at the film club right now. But if you wanted to listen to those, where can they go? Well, if you want to listen to... Uh, I, a good almost, time I almost had the spiel. La-dee-da. 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 It's okay, boo. It's pretty neat. What are you, 12 with neat? Come on, give, give us your spiel. Give us your spiel. <laughs> okay. If you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor FM, and YouTube. You can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube, where you can find video versions of this podcast that hopefully won't always be my slideshows. We're trying here. But we love the slideshows. But not always. And you can go there, like, comment, subscribe. We're going to try and release more video content there. But if you wanted to follow us on social media, where can they go? You can find us on Instagram at the Film Club Podcast, where we post daily stories, upcoming episodes, trivia, and our random adventures. And with that, we'll see you next week at the Film Club. Have a good week, everybody. Bye.